Hey, Mac, 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 where are you going, Mac? We need to. I don't think she's coming back. Dude, seriously? Oh, we're recording. Hey, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode by episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and the Holograms because it's truly outrageous and I don't think Mackenzie's coming back today. We can't do this with two people. We sound too similar. Oh, damn it. You rang? John, you're not in this episode! Well, you need a, a third, so... Then welcome to the episode. This is John, my husband. How's it going, dear? I'm just happy to be here. Glad to be included in, in your hobbies and activities. Welcome to episode 57, Beauty and the Rock Promoter. The beauty in this episode does not in fact refer to Riot, hence why Mac's not here. Nor does the beast, in fact. She was holding out for that and it, ooh, did, it did not happen. Win some, you lose some. Win some, you lose some. Eh? Because beauty? I'm beginning to regret this already. I'm missing a Mariners game for this. This is season three, episode four. You guys, I've got some really weird news about the writer for this episode. This is one Claire Noto. Claire Noto has written one episode for Gem, and it is Beauty and the Rock Promoter. Also, her IMDb page is four items long. The only other thing that she wrote was an episode of some vampire show called The Hunger in 1997, an episode called Bridal Suite. But here's the weird thing that happened when I googled this. io9, thestorydepartment.com, and hrgeiger.com all feature a story about a script called The Tourist, which is the greatest sci-fi movie never made. Did she write that? Yes. I'm just going to read you the opening paragraph here from the io9 article from 2009. The tourist featured secretive alien refugees and tentacle something, because this is a PG podcast, attracted the interest of Quadrophenia director Frank Rodham and inspired concept art by H.R. Geiger. Despite being called a masterpiece by some, this strange science fiction noir was never actually made. It's weird. She wrote the screenplay for that. And not much else. It's a weird Google fest, I tell ya. My question is, what did the first draft of this episode look like? The Beast had a lot more tendrils. You guys want to talk about this episode? Because I love it, and now I'm trying to like reconcile this with weird sci-fi noir, and I'm having kind of a hard time. I'd like to just sort of set that aside and talk about Beauty and the Rock Promoter. Dear kids, what you need to understand about this entire episode is that it took place before the Disney movie from the 90s was put on. Like, when this episode came out, the major cultural touchstone for Beauty and the Beast was the Jean Cocteau movie. There is also a really bad American TV show. With Ron Perlman! And it was a TV show, and my mother loved it. So this is probably going to take a lot of notes from the Ron Perlman stuff, including basically man but with a cat face. And he was a sewer mutant. I feel like sewers plus fur is a bad combination. Shut up, Ron Perlman. People like to write a whole lot of video essays about whether or not Beauty and the Beast involves Stockholm Syndrome. I have some opinions about that, by the way. But the original story, I've read a whole lot of versions of that just in doing some research for a different project. And... Hmm... What we're saying is that the pre-Disney version of this story kind of sucked. Yeah. During the daytime, this pretty girl just kind of wanders around a house where all the servants are invisible, and sometimes she gets a pet monkey because she just wants one. And then every night she has to eat dinner with a really gross Omicogums. 
And then he asks her to marry him and she says no. And then she decides to go home for a little while, totally forgets, or maybe her sisters make her, like, distracted enough that she forgets to go back to the beast. And the beast just sort of sits in a pile and gets sad and almost dies because he's so sad. And then she says, well, I guess you're kind of uggo, but I guess you're not that bad. I guess I'll marry you. And then he's a prince. Anyway, let's go to 80s London. With some terrible, terrible English accents. Hey, look, if I had a dollar for every time they say holograms in this episode, I would have fives of dollars. This whole episode is populated by people doing bad British accents. It's all teen idols all the way down. One of the girls in the beginning calls Jim and the holograms brill, which I assume is short for brilliant. And I'm not sure that's a real phrase. I don't think that's real slang now or ever. Let's describe this character, Red Johnny Mac. I don't know what's going on with Red Johnny Mac, except for the fact that he looks like he walked out of the short-lived 90s Highlander cartoon. Also, he has extraordinarily spiky red hair with a mullet that is pulled back into a rat tail braid. Yeah, he's got a long rat tail braid. Hey, ladies. This is easily the worst character design I've ever seen in this show, and this is a show full of terrible character designs. I love it. Was he supposed to be a doll and then like, because this is a very complicated character design. Also, they say the name a whole heck of a lot. Okay, so he he's like a producer something. What does he do? He's the titular rock promoter. What does that mean? He promotes rock. Then why does this lead to him getting roughed up by a band, a gang called Rodney and the Rockets, who are then never seen again as he's then later roughed up by like the British mob? Uh, I think he's run one too many producer scams. A series of nesting doll springtime for Hitlers. Yeah. So the second time that he's roughed up, he's in a bar that evening because this is the best way to endure a character is some weird dude being perpetually roughed up by soccer hooligans. He's subjected to a literal shakedown, like they grab him by the ankles and start shaking. And I don't think his trench coat goes inside out. Oh, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. Oh, it doesn't. And then as he's being shook up by, like, some soccer hooligans whose boss is named Harold, which is the worst possible thing in an episode full of people doing fake British Cockney accents. So his name is not Harold, it is... Harold. Thank you. My favorite ladies. So Red Johnny Mac looks over at the TV playing above the bar, and it's a Gem of the Holograms video, and next to it, for some reason, is a poster for Jean Cocteau's The Beauty and the Beast. And he says, I've got it. A rock opera of the timeless tale, Beauty and the Beast. Is Beauty and the Beast timeless? It's as old as time. Not yet, it's not. It won't be old as time for another 10 to 15 years. So somehow Errol agrees to this, I guess, because we just sort of suddenly switch over to the Starlight Mansion. Where Eric Raymond has disguised himself as a mail carrier. Oh good, everyone noticed that. He's not even doing like a different voice from the Eric Raymond voice. I mean, he does a bunch of incidental voices in this show, but he's not trying here. And not to mention, like, that would explain how Eric actually knows about this plot. He's just been intercepting Jem's mail for months. So this guy just delivers a script. It's a whole script from Red Johnny Mac. It's like, hey, Jem, be in my movie slash stage show, whatever. Shut up. Kimber is like, Red Johnny Mac, like we're supposed to know who that is. Then Jerrica makes everyone sit in the living room and watch her read the script. Silently. Two hours pass. And then at the end of it, she's like, oh, yes, we definitely have to do this show. So they immediately just go to London. They arrive outside the theater 
and they're like, hi, are you Red Johnny Mac? And he's like, gem in the holograms. And I die a little inside. How can you be anything but 100% sure whether the person standing in front of you is Red Johnny Mac? Anyway, Red Johnny Mac makes his way down the line, meeting all the holograms. He kisses all of their hands in turn. And then Rio gets jealous that his hand wasn't kissed, but he tries to pass it off as being sarcastic. And it's like, it's not like I wanted him to kiss my hand. Rio's in this episode. He's in this whole episode. And you raise a good point. Is Rio being super jealous about other men being near Jem and or Jerrica? Just him sublimating his gay feelings? Ooh, we may have cracked this. Anyway, Johnny Mac introduces his production team, which at this point is just his set designer, who is, I don't remember his name. All I know is that he's from Malibu and he has a terrifying face. Uh, and their uh, special effects guy. He's a Japanese guy and... He has an accent. It's not atrocious. It's definitely not mocking. So it's not like terrible. But it's very clearly a, a white guy doing a Japanese accent. Yeah, it's not very good. Yeah. So his set designer and his special effects guy both are putting the cart before the horse in a massive kind of way. The special effects guy is like, what we're going to do with the beast costume is we're going to just make him like a dude with a cat face and a cape. But also lightning done with computers. They talk about computer generated effects like you can just type things into a computer and like literal magic happens. I mean, you can in this world, but that's not supposed to be something everybody else has. And the set designer's like, yeah, let's have an enormous electrical turbine in the dining room. Like, that won't create a noise problem. Jim hears that design choice, and what does she say, Annie? Yeah, she's like, it's strange, but also beautiful. No, it's not. And also, shouldn't you have said outrageous? So, meanwhile, back in America, Eric Raymond shows up for his contractually obligated two lines in this episode. So Eric Raymond is like, Jem's gonna be in a rock opera in, in England, and Bizez is like, and what? And Eric says, if the show's a hit, the music soundtrack will make them internationally famous. Two things about that line. One, music soundtrack, as opposed to, like, the sound effects soundtrack. Two, they're already internationally famous. Episode 8, they performed in China. And England multiple times. And Morvonia? Pizzazz actually takes this seriously and turns to Jetta and says, Hey Jetta, how do you feel like a trip home? And here's the thing. Jetta has no lines in this episode. None at all. She probably heard them say holograms once and was like, nope. There's going to be enough bad American Cockney accents that my real British accent is going to sound fake. And then we cut to dress rehearsals already? They have done no line reading. There's no blocking. Nobody's just hanging out, marking the stage with electric tape and sweatpants. They're doing product shoots. They're doing publicity shots. In the theater, right before rehearsal. They've mostly built the set, and then we put the worst props in front of it. A gold electric guitar with a chain for a strap. It's pretty hardcore. I love it. Now, instead of a rose... It's an electric guitar. I mean, he works in an electric plant. The dad talks about how he works at the plant for the beast. So he's going to go from being a barely paid manservant to an unpaid manservant. Unless he sends his daughter, i.e. Beauty, to live at the castle plant. Right. The Disney one made Beauty more of an active character by introducing the idea of taking her father's place. But in the original story, it's like, if you don't want to die, you should bring me your pretty daughter. The hot one. I want that one. Otherwise, you're going to die. During this whole send me your pretty daughter sequence, uh, Beast milks the giant cow, which I love. I 
love the beast. He just sort of like marches in, sparks on the set, and then just kind of screams. He just kind of tore Johnson's. It's great. I love him. So we head back to the dad's house and get to meet Beauty and the rest of the family. Beauty's father just had five daughters at the same age. And four of them were, they're the misfits. They're playing the misfits. Rhea's having a lot of fun with this. They all are. Aj is really loving it too. But they're like, yeah, Beauty's a jerk. Everybody says she's pretty. We hate her. Go live with a beast. Gemma's Beauty just climbs up on that cross and nails herself there. They're right. I am a goody goody. I'm off to be with the beast. I have such a great relationship with my father. This has been clearly established. I would sacrifice everything for him. Time to go live with his boss, I guess. And of course, as soon as she arrives at the castle, the beast enters and just starts screaming. It's an interesting character choice to just start a character mad and leave him there. He started screaming in the green room and kept that up all the way to stage right. Gem as beauty, meanwhile, is like, well, that's no way to behave. Let's eat dinner! Ah! She's like, how about no? And he's like, no, we're eating dinner now! And then he starts flipping everything over. And then a song happens. All of the songs in this episode are technically credited to Gem and the Holograms, but they're basically from, like, the music soundtrack for this Beauty and the Beast rock opera. And this one is You'll Never Win My Love. The entire song is being sung while she just backs away from this dude with a cat face who is just overturning chairs and tables. She does boop him on the nose like twice. Anyway, the song ends and the beast is about to smash Jem with a chair. And that's where our memento mori by our dolls is. So then he just puts down the chair and then smashes it. And then he screams again. And then they call cut because the set designers have to come and they say finish building the set. I'm pretty sure what they actually need to do is start gluing the furniture back together. Because guess what? That wasn't a fall apart chair. This is all ad living. We did not expect him to break the furniture, but he took it to a place. He's a method actor. It's fine. So the beast mysteriously disappears. He just Batmans out. The camera wasn't focused on him, so he left, despite the fact that he was in a theater. So many eyeballs on him at that moment. Well, I mean, it's not as though no one says where he goes. They just say he went off to the dressing room. So Jem heads up to the dressing room. Because she's like, I need to see the beast! And Rio's like, what do you mean you need to see the beast? Because Rio can't tell the difference between fiction and reality. He really can't. And you know what did it? It was him co-starring in that movie at the very beginning of the show. I'm Johnny, a selfish rocker, but Jem teaches me how to share. Except he did not learn how to share. At all. So we get up to the dressing room. And there's a beast costume on a hook. But Johnny Mac is here. And we do not put two and two together. Well, Jem doesn't. I did immediately. She's inexplicably drawn to the beast. Because she's like, what? Oh my god, where did he go? I need to go see him. I need to meet him in person. And we don't see the guy who's the beast. And this sure would be a good time for Riot, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, but if Riot were in this episode, I wouldn't be here. This sure would be a good time for Riot, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess I walked into that one. Johnny Mac is like, I just came to congratulate myself, I mean the Beast, on all his good work today. Now off to do more photo shoots. So everybody's really tired, they wearily trudge back to the hotel room, and then Jerrica stays up reading the script and we're doing the hammiest line reads. But I miss my family. It's like she just took a piece of scenery home with her as a leftover to just chew on all night. And then she falls asleep reading the script, and then we go to a dream sequence, which is just the next scene in the play? 
a fashion dude comes in and gives Jem a whole bunch of outfits that she already owns and has her just try on all of her own clothes, which means that it's going to take time for her to change between each of those costumes. No matter how fast you change, it's still going to be a really boring scene. Also, what's with this thing where the beast knows people? Wait, yeah. Why does the beast have colleagues? But Gemma's just morose in all of these beautiful fashions. And- well, these are beautiful, but also I'm being held captive by a screaming electric dog man. And the screaming electric dog man says, I will do anything to make you happy. And Jem was like, let me go home. And screaming electric dog man is like, but I won't do that. And then starts screaming immediately. Just to close out the scene. There isn't even a full stop on that sentence. The punctuation of the sentence is him screaming. So the next morning, Jerrica wakes up having dreamed that scene. They really wanted to fit this entire dumb rock opera into the episode. Jem is really eager to see the beast again. And Rio is in a snit. I thought she was tired. All she cares about is the beast. Why do you always have me on for the Rio's a really, really bad person episodes? Maybe I'm trying to teach you something about my marriage. Yeah, see, that's that's the sinking feeling I'm getting right now. Anyway, time for a dinner scene with flamenco dancers in the background. Again, what's with this thing where the beast knows people? Then the flamenco dancers suddenly stop because, like, havoc starts being wreaked with the special effects somehow, I guess. And it turns out the misfits at some point just walked in, walked up to the light and sound boards, and just started messing with stuff. So Rio physically assaults Pizzazz and kicks the misfits out. And this is the extent of the mischief they make in this episode. And then, like, Jem stands up. I was like, what happened? And Rio's like, oh, don't worry. The misfits are here, but I kicked them out. And Jem's like, oh, okay, it's cool. Let's keep going. Let's let's pick up from the top. Oh, thanks, Rio. You're welcome, Jem. He throws a fit because Jem didn't fall all over him with, oh, Rio, I was so scared. Anyway, it turns out in this version, Beauty has a boyfriend that's mentioned only once. And never appears on stage, near as I can tell. Maybe there was a version where Rio played the boyfriend? I was expecting Rio to show up as the boyfriend, but then he didn't. Anyway, it's time for another song because Beauty wants to go home. This is a good one, though. Yeah, Let Me Go, it's probably the best out of the three. I mean, it's it's not great, but... It's got special guest singing appearances by the Beast. That's our third guy that's ever sung in a gem song? And then after this, I've got a note here that just says, God damn it, Rio, and I can't remember why. Yep, yep, yep. Wow, that was a really good song, he says, wandering onto the stage while they're still rehearsing. And Jem's like, yeah, okay, great, Rio, thanks. But like, we're in the middle of a thing. Oh, the beast is gone. But I just wanted to congratulate you. Okay, great, but we're working. Well, now we're going to go home and have dinner because you're too tired to do anything but have dinner with me, Rio. And then he marches all of them back to the hotel while insulting them. You girls are really dragging. We should quit this show. He won't stop till you're dead. God, you look terrible. Can we light Rio on fire? And Jim's like, Rio, he's not forcing us to do anything. We chose to do this. We chose this obligation. And he's like, yeah, you just want to kiss a beast. Are you jealous of a character in a show? Yes. Yes, he is. This is a real line. Jem actually calls him out. She's like, the Beast is a fictional character. The argument ends in the most Jim in the Holograms way possible with Jim fainting. Commercial break, Jem's dead, maybe. So we come back from the commercial break to a doctor apparently doing a house call at the hotel. The doctor's like, oh, it's just exhaustion. She needs rest. And Rio's like, well, she's getting lots of it. And Rio's like, but wait a minute. We have a show that we're contractually obligated to put on. Can it, Rhea? Can we just stab Rio? Oh my god, he is the worst in this episode. There are so many episodes in which Rio is the worst, but this is like top five worst Rios. And then they're like, well, if Jem's not in the show, and then Jem starts like, 
Nap mumbling, no, the show must go on. Does Jem seriously not have an understudy? Nope, time to call the misfits. And we'll get everyone related to the misfits. We get the entire misfits band. We're not swapping out pizzazz. We're saying everybody has to give up their scripts. So the holograms show up at the misfits, I'm guessing, hotel room? Because they know where the misfits are staying? They're probably just across the hall. And Pizzazz has this amazing line where she's like, well, but isn't the sweethearts of Sigma Chi. Pizzazz is making a Dean Martin reference. How does she know who Dean Martin is? She has layers. We go to Red Johnny Mac's office or something, and they're like, okay, so here's the really dumb plan. We're all out and all the misfits are in. And he's like, that's not what... We contractually agreed to at all. That's not how I've been promoting this. And also, I hate the misfits like a lot. And then he lays on the worst guilt trip. It's like the story where Beauty leaves and promises to come back, but she doesn't. And then the beast just dies because he's a sad sack and forgets to eat and lies on the floor. Only this time, our play is the one that dies because it forgets to eat and is a sad sack and lies on the floor. So back at the theater, remember those thugs with the soccer hooligans before? They're back and they hate the misfits. Nobody likes the misfits. Jem wakes up and it turns out she's been out for four days. She's been a hologram for four days. It's now the preview night for Beauty and the Beast, a rock opera by Red Johnny Mac, novel adaptation by George Gype. And Pizzazz still has a script and the misfits are really terrible at reading lines, which I love, actually. But don't you want the beast to die, beauty? I love it when mediocre actors deliberately try to be bad actors because the bad acting sounds nothing like actual bad acting. Also, the theater audience is straight up booing, which in my experience, theater audiences don't do. They just leave. You've experienced this? Yes. And by the way, Pizzazz is just straight up reading from the script and then just says the script stinks, which she's right. It is terrible. And then she just gets up and ad libs and starts out with, hey, let me tell you about this beast guy. Like this is suddenly turned into a stand up. Meanwhile, the holograms show up. And Jem's ready to go on and Pizzazz comes off stage and she's like, what? No, I'm, I'm starring in this now. But the British thugs hate the misfits and then it takes two soccer hooligans to drag pizzazz off stage so then we go to the beast lying on his bed like a sad sack oh where's my girlfriend who's not my girlfriend that i forced to live at my factory mansion ugh she said she'd come back and i haven't really given her any incentive to return but she said she would and then i'd like die or something if she didn't ugh the original version of this story is so good and empowering and then jem shows up the entire audience applauds when they see her. Jem, I mean beauty. You came back. And then Jem sings a song called Our Love Makes You Beautiful to Me. And this whole song is a neg. It's like a One Direction neg. Our love makes you beautiful to me. Everyone else, I mean, you're still like an uggo, but like, I think you're pretty because I'm being really charitable here. Like, it's just because I love you. Like, if I didn't love you, then you'd just be ugh. The whole song's a neg. Anyway, surprise, the beast is Johnny Mac. Surprise! Costumes don't work that way! He anamorphs into Johnny Mac. Dread Johnny Mac is basically the middle stage of an anamorphs cover. Between what and what? A rat and a mullet, obviously. So after that, it's curtains. That's it. That's the show. I think the rest of the holograms show up for curtain call. The holograms don't get to take a bow. They weren't in the show. Everybody's like, we're going to be rich because this is going to be awesome. And this is super great. And even the soccer hooligans are like, yeah, we saw five minutes of Jim. So it's going to be 
awesome. We have a hit. The show sucked until the finale. As they're walking off stage, uh, Jem and Johnny Mac, Jem is like, so you were the beast the whole time. And Johnny Mac is like, who better to play the beast? Why? Why? Why is it him? Why is there no one better to play the beast? What have we learned about Johnny Mac that makes him ideal to play the beast? Anyway, Jem's like, you're a true artist, and then walks off. So she and uh, Rio go off back onto the stage, and Jem has to explain that fiction is not reality to Rio. But I thought you wanted to marry the base, and she's like, Rio, costume, he's a fake person. I'm dating you for no reason. And there's like this lone clapping cleaning lady in the stands when they kiss. I kind of love her, though. I feel like she's the real star. I feel like she's sarcastic clapping. And that's the end of the episode. I guess there's no more show. They rehearsed and they performed once as a soft open. And that's it. Beauty and the Rock Promoter. I love that stupid episode. That is going to wrap it up for Beauty and the Rock Promoter. This dumb, dumb, dumb episode that I love. Join us next time when, um, well, hopefully Mac will stick around for this one because it also doesn't feature Riot and it does feature dance. Oh, I know the name of this one. It's Omeland Artland. Because it's a dance episode, we are roping in our resident dance expert, Dimly. They'll be joining us. It's good to have someone on the show who actually kind of doesn't hate dance. It's going to be a heck of a time. Eck. Eck of a time. Thanks for joining us, dear. Hopefully we'll be able to get Mac back. Hopefully. Please, please, Mackenzie, come back. Mackenzie, we need you. John, before we summarily get the shepherd's crook and yank you off the stage, uh, where can people find you? On the internet. All right, good enough. The Gem Jam comes out every Sunday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and YouTube. We are also on Twitter and Tumblr. You can find us on Twitter at GemJamCast. Everywhere else is at thegemjam.com. We don't have thegemjam.com. Wait, we don't. GemJam.tumblr.com. Just Google us. Our SEO is really good. (laughs) We'll get that website eventually. We can get thegemjam.com for $12. Well, hell, that's what we have a Patreon for. Let's buy it. This has been two idiots negotiating. Good news, everyone. We're about to be in a protracted legal battle with Hasbro. If you would like to assist our protracted legal battle with Hasbro coming up, uh, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash thegemjam. Join us next time for Homeland Heartland. Until next time, dear listeners, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. I- I'm I'm the husband. Oh, no, I'm the husband. That's a series wrap on John, everybody. And that's John with no H, by the way. <laughs> oh, my God. This has been the Gem Jam, where we remind you. Tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme, outrageous and the beast. Now for the protracted legal battle with Disney. You ain't winning that one. <laughs>